10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. Good luck, studio. Oh, it's just what you've been waiting for, dears. Another episode of the Shy Life Podcast. Coming right up. Oh, it's the Shy Life Podcast. All I wanted was a pie, and then I hatched out of an egg. Okay, bring the mic over. He's ready to record. It's the quiet ones you've got to watch, you know. Is it metaphorical? Is it is it deep? Is it deep? <laughs> Boy, he said all that shy is right. <laughs> Blimey, Governor, it's the Shy Life Podcast. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shy Yeti. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. Yes. Um, well, uh, uh, I've got Yeti Uncle John here. Oh, hello, Paul. It's uh, always nice to be back. Looking forward to being part of this episode. Oh, you are, are you? Oh, well, it's really good to hear you say that, I must say. Uh, uh, well, you know, I'm always glad to be part of a Shallow Podcast episode. Uh, yes, 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 uh, I know, but, well, uh, this time we're going to be talking about two uh, poetry collections that I wrote 20 years ago. So I'm really happy to have you here to uh, help me uh, tell the listeners about that. Does anyone hear my phone ring? Uh, I can definitely hear my phone ring. Uh, Paul, I'll be back in a minute. Uh, you run the theme music and I'll, I'll, I'll see you after that. OK, it's your Uncle John. See you in a minute. Listeners, let's run that theme music. And then Yeti Uncle John and I will be back to discuss some poems. Apparently. All right. Run that theme music. Darling, it's the Shy Life Podcast. <laughs> yes, well, it's a positive thing for The Shy Life, the Shy Life. You won't find a cast of characters like this everywhere. Hello, Paul. Oh, no, I'll go anywhere for potato. Delicious. Hello, Captors. How are you? You quite like a big bang, don't you, Paul? Go Shy Yeti. Oh, my, have you ever found out my secret? Yes, he has. If you thought that was bad, just listen to this. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for it to begin. It's the Shy Life Podcast. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I am strangely drawn to Yeti Uncle John's ankles as well. <laughs> Has the Shy Life podcast slowed down? I don't think so. It's all green and meaty. Yum, 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 yum. Has anyone seen my hot sausage? <laughs> I'm terribly sorry, Paul. I would have loved to have hung around, but I just had a, a call from uh, Tallulah. Apparently, uh, something's broken down. Yes, something's broken down, and uh, uh, Martin can't do it by himself, and he needs an extra pair of hands. So. I'm going to rush off and do that, but I'm sure uh, you'll still be recording when I get back. Getting Uncle John, I quite understand. Yes. Gosh, well, you know, when I have these poetry episodes, I don't always need um, too many extra voices, so it's a good thing it happened on one of those episodes. Yes, Paul, what a coincidence. Well, I'll be back later. Uh, oh, well, good. Well, uh, please uh, pass on my best wishes to Tallulah, won't you? Oh, well, Paul. Oh, well, yes, absolutely, yes. 
Oh well, listeners, looks like it's just going to be you and I. Ho-hum. Actually, it's not going to be just you and I. We've got a special guest. Nick will be here in a bit, partly partly to discuss um, the, the books that uh, I'm uh, going to be talking about today, and partly, well, to talk about writing and publishing and some of his experiences, and uh, yeah, that'll be somewhere in the middle of the episode, between between the two books, as it were. So what am I going to be talking about today, and, and, and why these two books? Well, they're two of my early collections, Roller Coaster and Third Time Lucky. Uh, I did a 10th anniversary edition of them, and, and did some 10th anniversary shows for them, well, 10 years ago, but not on the podcast. And I'm sure I've read one or two of the pieces from these collections before, but I've never talked about them uh, as a whole. So, But my early collections were shorter, so I'm going to talk about them. The first one is entitled Roller Coaster, which is the title of one of the poems. Uh, I'll read that last, actually. Um, but I will read it. I will read the title poems of, of both the collections, but uh, anyway... The second collection is called Third Time Lucky. Um, and there's, yes, there's a, a, a poem entitled that as well. So let's look at Roller Coaster first. Originally, it was published as it was very much a photocopied collection, printed out, uh, then copied at my parents, then spiral bound, and then just sold to a very limited amount of people. I'll be talking more about the process um, that I went through with Nick later. So I won't say too much more about that side of it. But uh, yeah, came out. Not that long after uh, Junk Food, the collection we talked about last time. Um, oh, one of the things I should say is that last time we recorded a poetry episode, I wasn't 100% sure whether I did a, comp- uh, a completely new collection that year. Now, uh, the early versions of my book, Are We There Yeti, did start to come out in 2012. But in the end, as I added things to it, it didn't actually come out until 2013. Which means that in 2013, there was that collection and my Not As Shy As I Was collection, which came out around my 40th. Um, So I'm going to leave those books until next year. Actually, next year, we'll also be talking about a couple more of these early collections. um, Go Forth and Divide and the Autumnal EP. Um, 2012 was quite a busy year for me repackaging old material. Uh, I I did those short collections we talked about when we talked about junk food. Uh, Obviously, I was doing novels and things too. But uh, there was no new collection in 2012, although there very nearly was. It just kind of got pushed back. uh, So looking at the front page, well, looking looking at the front cover, the picture of me on that was taken during one of my trips to um LA and uh, um in fact both of them this there's one on the back where I'm I'm standing posing by a sign that says one and a half tons of brute strength alive uh yeah the one on the front I'm up on the hills somewhere on the outskirts of LA got a I got a checkered a checkered blue and black and white cap um I used to buy quite a lot of caps when I was over in America because there were lots of different styles that I didn't sort of own. I've still got one or two of them. I've still got my blue hat that says Hollywood for a start. Um, I should read you the back cover. Published in early 2002, Roller Coaster was Paul's second self-published collection and his first including completely contemporary compositions. Long before he became Shayeti, he was just plain Paul. But what hasn't changed is that he always wrote very daft verse. Until now, Roller Coaster has only been available alongside its sister collection, Junk Food, reissued during 2011. So this is the first time it has stood alone. 
This version is a special 10th anniversary edition containing photos and information about how the book came to be written. Roller Coaster contains many poems that Paul still performs today, such as Learning Experience, Otherwise Engaged, Piccadilly Circus, Roller Coaster, She Never Had Any Luck, and Waves. But a lot that he doesn't. Um, if you want to know how this Yeti poeting first came about, then this is the book for you. Yeah, this was the first time... Well, this wasn't the first time the book had been... Obviously, when I hand-published it, or whatever you want to call it, uh, with uh, spiral binding and all that sort of thing, it was available on its own then, but as far as it being published with a nice cover on Lulu, this was the first time it appeared by itself. Um, it says long before he became Shayeti, but it wasn't that long before. So it says, yeah, original edition, spring 2002... It says, it says I revised it in spring 2005, and the first Lulu version was summer 2006. The 10th anniversary edition was March 2012, so we're slightly past that now, because cause Third Time Lucky came out sort of summer 2002, so yeah, I'm trying to release this sort of somewhere between the release, around the release of, uh, I think it'd probably be closer to the release of Third Time Lucky, but uh, we already had one poetry episode quite near the start of the year, so let me read you the names of the poems in Roller Coaster. The whole book is only... 112 pages so it's not the lengthy tomes of some of my later collections so the poem titles are uh agony aunt which is spelt a-r-e-n apostrophe t um alternative seasons greetings bad look alike bottled emotions cgi life carol singers serial offender contemplation underwater curious tale of my lunar inheritance daffodils 1800s easy rider face for radio Forgetfulness, Ghost, God-Bothering, Half You Left Me With, Hostage to Squirrels, I Cannot Compare Thee, I'll Be Going Then, I'm the One, In the Closet, It All Went So Well, Jagged Dreams, Keeping Pets, Last Chapter Blues, Last of the Autumn Leaves, A Learning Experience, Love by Diary, Lover of Beauty, Marshmallow Heart, Mrs Worthington, My Past is Catching Up With Me, Not the First Time, On Richmond Hill, other Man, Otherwise Engaged, Peace Treaty, Petrified, Piccadilly Circus, Pity Her, Playing the Fame Game, Private Inconvenience, Roller Coaster, Separated at Birth, She Never Had Any Luck, Silent Neighbours, So Much Love, So Little Time, Waves, Where Are All the Nice Guys, and Your Fortune Told. Um, of course this version has pictures, photos, um, even photos of... Um, shows I did around this time, including An Evening with Shayeti, An Evening with Shayeti and Other Animals, which I, I did with uh, John Smallshaw, performance poet Gary Groves, and uh, superstar singing sensation Wilfredo on the 16th of June 2011. Yeah, as I say, I wrote a bit about each um, poem, and when I released this version, I, I'd already written about each poem in 2002, but I sort of updated... Um, and, and added a few comments in 2012 or perhaps if I performed them I wasn't really performing my poems when these books originally came out so there's even an ad for Are We There Yeti at the back a little bit early yeah I was, I was um, also working on script books at the same time there's also bits about where you could sort of watch performances of my poems on YouTube there's posters as I say, from gigs, including one I did at the Cobalt Cafe. The Cobalt Cafe I first visited in August 20, 2010, and I went back to have a, 
a residency, August 2011. All very exciting. So, Paul, what are you going to read next? Oh, Cromarty. Oh, how nice of you to show up. Oh, Paul, I don't mind showing up. I very much like it. I very much enjoy it. Uh, I, I noticed your Uncle John heading out of the house. Well, yes, apparently he has to help uh, Martin um, with some DIY at Tallulah's place. Oh, really? Interesting. I'm not aware of any DIY that needs doing. Oh, well, that's what he says. Um, so, Paul, what are you going to read? Well, the trouble with these early books, I don't know, 20 years ago, I don't think there's anything in these books that would get me cancelled, but there's some that I either don't like for um, cheap jokes or... There's some I don't really like as much. Uh, but I'm going to start with Bad Lookalike. Okay, Paul? This is actually a prose piece. Okay, okay. Bad Lookalike. I'm back, I call, entering the stranger's home, using his keys. We agreed to this, you and I. It had been just a chance meeting, or so you thought. But I'd been waiting. The barman pointed me out to you. I suggested that he introduce us in the circumstances. We laughed about it, got drunk and chatted. You and I, so similar in appearance. All perfectly natural, nothing cosmetic. I suggested the ruse before we parted. Do you think we can really confuse them, you asked? Do you think they'd really believe you were me? I said I thought so. We had a bet. You like the sound of that, always up for a bit of a gamble. It'll be a scream, you agreed. I thought so too, you being so famous, and me... A complete nobody, Joe Bloggs. Shall we do it then? You agreed, and so today I get to drive your roller home. I'm back, I call. His family greet me. How unexpected. We thought you were going away. He was, but I'm here now. The barman was right, we do look alike. So alike that even his family thinks it's him. If only they knew the truth. He was only going to be staying in my apartment for the weekend. But I drugged his coffee, and tied him down, locked the door just for the weekend, mind, or perhaps a little longer, a week, a month, a year. My welcome is so warm in this place, I may never go back. I like this new house. New friends, a wife and family, it's more than I had before. What a bad, bad man I am. A bad look-alike, an evil twin. Oh, Paul, is it based on a true story? It's, it's not based on a true story. It sounds like... Sounds like quite a few plots I've seen on soap operas, to be honest. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, Paul. No, nothing wrong with an evil twin. Um, it's the wrong time of year to be reading this, but I might read this one, The Carol Singers. OK, Paul, go ahead. Deck the halls with boughs of Harley. Fa-la-la-la, la-la-la-la. Cruelly, we are being held to ransom. After Halloween, so recently, this is becoming a habit. We wish you a Merry Christmas, O little town of Bethlehem. The carol singers have come calling, faces sly and expectant, like tax collectors, bailiffs, TV detector men, all vultures of one kind or another. Tuneful bleating thinly veils their true identities. They are after one thing and won't be satisfied by chocolate coins either. There is a group of them, a dozen or more, not thugs, but a mittened crowd of young and old from the local church. Yet we are no more safe than were they brightly Mohican terrorists. Ding dong merrily on high. God rest ye merry, gentlemen. We must have stood at the door, open mouth for far too long. They're looking restless. What have we got for them? Sweets? No, no, I've said. They'll not be happy with those. Mince pies? As many as they can eat. No, no, quite unsuitable. 
Small change, car keys, family jewels, priceless heirlooms, anything. Take what you want. Here, take this. It's a thousand pounds. Will that do? Now, please, please keep away, at least until next year. The voices stop. The gift is taken and examined gingerly. The vicar nods. The gift is acceptable. His congregation put away the bricks and knuckle dusters, backing away in search of new victims. Back inside our safe haven, we clasp one another, our bodies shaking, tearful and wordless, praying that they won't return. Jingle bells, Batman smells. Their voices are taunting others now, yet continue to remind us of what we have experienced. Stalking us still from afar, Already their reign of terror has moved on to different shores, but they will return and another silent night will be shattered. Same time next year. Oh, Paul, you really don't like Christmas, do you? I, I was, I can, well, you can tell I wasn't a big fan even 20 years ago, so... <laughs> a lot of my Christmas poems aren't exactly cheerful. Oh, Paul. So what now? What about Rollercoaster, the poem? I'm going to leave that one to last, actually. We've got Nick coming on in a bit, so uh, I'll read that when uh, when he's here. Very well, Paul, very well. I might read this one, The Daffodils. Okay, Paul. Scary daffodils? Yeah, pretty scary daffodils. I think this was a bit of a spoof on uh, on a Sylvia Plath poem where she was talking about, well, she was talking about some sort of plant or mushrooms or something taking over, although it was, it was probably full of deep in meaningfulness and I just took it literally oh Paul well you are quite a literal person um yes I think I am okay the daffodils we are the daffodils in HQ bulbs below we're plotting our invasion force from under melting snow our arrival is not expected for a month or two or more in flourishes of yellow a sign of Easter thaw we learnt our skills from mushrooms but their attempts all failed might get away with murder us daffs cannot be jailed we are the daffodils. This year we'll see things change. This year we'll get our own back. There is much still to arrange. So watch out for your children. Yes, watch out where they skip. No one will snap our roots off. Our stems no one will snip. We perfected our taekwondo. Now we're really ace at kicks. There is no end to our cunning. There is no shortage of tricks. We are the daffodils. Our growth is slow but sure. Our foliage is sprouting. Our buds are tight and pure. We listen to your voices, we hear your idle chatter. We're living in your gardens, the lives we soon will shatter. You can buy us in the markets, in rain or shine or gale. Our sublime and scented glory, our spores you'll soon inhale. We are the daffodils, you soon shall see us stirring. Beneath your feet we're mobilised, rebellion soon occurring. Raised up like valiant soldiers, we soon shall take the plunge. Leap up now from our slumbers, that your jugulars will lunge. Like tiny florid vampires. We'll sink our stamens in and vanquish our oppressors. Our invasion will begin. Blame me, Paul. I think twice before buying a bunch of daffodils uh, from a, a garage. Yeah, well, that's probably a good thing, actually. Um, nasty, nasty daffodils uh, was a feature of uh, a Doctor Who story called Terror of the Autons back in the early 70s. Uh, I'm not sure how much that inspired that poem. But, uh, yeah. Well, you know, they can't be trusted, those flowers. They most certainly can't. I should read this one, A Face for Radio. Oh, yes, Paul? He's got a great face for radio, said the man from school careers. He's got a lovely speaking voice, making up for his sticky-out ears. If he wants to work on telly, they'll, they'll say his face does sag. 
He'd have to read the local news from inside a paper bag. There were chances that he could work puppets or be a Teletubby, but he'd never make Blue Peter because his fingernails are grubby. He has poor taste in fashion, yes, he's really out of touch. Simply no one wears medallions. Tom Jones, perhaps, not much. He'll never make a businessman or a hotshot city banker, though could be a ballerina if that kind of fame does hanker. He might excel too as a gargoyle or a beast of an ugly bug ball, but he'll never make an astronaut because he can't stand heights at all. Still, he's got a fine face for radio, presenting programmes on fishing and pottery. Or if that does not work, maybe he could just be the voice of the National Lottery. Oh, Paul, is that what they told you? Uh, a face for face for radio, face for podcasting. I know, it happens to us all. Thanks, Cromarty. It's my pleasure. Oh dear. Um, what else shall I read? Maybe this one. The half you left me with. Is this another unhappy one, Paul? <laughs> you might say that. Come well, kind of. It's a bit surreal. Oh, Paul. It's surreal, but again, meant to be literal. Kind of. I kind of it kind of works either way. I, I like the idea of it being literal, but I guess it could be metaphorical as well. Oh gosh, Paul. The half you left me with. The half you left me with is evil. Why didn't you simply go? You had to leave a present, such a joy to see me low. Your pleasant half is gone now. When you left you split in two. The part that used to like me went, left me with the bitter you. The horrid half reminds me of all that happened wrong. It nags me over breakfast, a need for patience strong. The nasty half keeps ringing to embarrass me at work and shouts in supermarkets, tells new girlfriends I'm a jerk. I wish that part would go now. I wish it would leave me be. When I appeal for it to do so, it, j- it just smiles and says, We'll see. In the end, was nothing for it to the horrid you be nice. Told myself I must be friendly and I took my own advice. The nasty you was firstly worried whilst I guessed was on a winner. As I said such lovely things to her, and kindly took her out to dinner. She gradually grew to like that, yet she slowly stopped her moan. The nice you heard about this, and was soon then on the phone. But you're too late now to stop us. Yes, for we're suited hand in glove. She wants to be my sweetheart. Us two are truly back in love. The half you left me with is fine by me. We've grown together well. I no longer need the nicer you, because the rotten news just swell. Oh, Paul, it's not a sad poem after all. It has a happy ending. It does. Yes, it does. It does indeed. Oh, there's a picture of Dealey here with... Uh, I don't know if you can still do it. used to... Uh, I sometimes had access to a um, uh, an Apple, a Mac, um, which I don't have. I don't have myself. Um, I don't use Macs. I use Apple phones, but I don't use Macs. But there was a thing, an app or something... You could put photos, or you could have like a, uh, and it, well, anyway, you could make yourself look weird. Um, and I, I went spent quite a lot of time getting Dealey to uh, have strange shaped eyes and uh, weird ears and things by putting it through this app. Oh, Paul! Well, <laughs> poor Dealey. He looks a state. He does, but he it it wasn't lasting. It was only in a photo. So, Paul, what next? Well, I'll probably read two or three more, and then we need to speak to Nick. Um, I might read one or two more at the very end of the show, ones that I haven't read now. It seems to have all gone very quickly. This one's called Last of the Autumn Leaves. I'm a leaf, and I've not been feeling so well recently. I've stopped looking so green, going a bit orange around the edges, to tell the truth. 
It must be a relief, said my tree, to finally know that the end has come at last. I'm not so sure myself. Can't say I'm looking forward to it a great deal. But look at it this way, mused my tree. It's not a great job in the first place. Full of expectations, you're doomed from the start. No matter how nice you make me look, you've got to accept that give it a few months and by winter, you'll end up shriveled and making me look dull again. He's only saying that because he wants rid of me. I'm the last one, see. You'd think he'd be more loyal, seeing as I'm part of him, or was. Now just an unsightly blemish. Some unnecessary limb he's keen to cast off now he's done with me. And of course, the way he looks at it, it doesn't matter. Out with the old, in with the new. Making a sacrifice in light of what is to come. By putting up with a bit of nudity during the winter, I think he secretly enjoys it. In the knowledge that he'll get a new covering by the spring. Whilst me, I'll be down there in the gutter. It's a long drop too. Washed down the drain, no doubt. Or used in some school child's piece of collage work. But, I suppose, after consideration, that is not such a bad fate. To become a work of art? Yeah, yes, that's almost appealing. So where are those paint-fingered children? Hmm, I'm beginning to feel dizzy now. A little bit weak at the stem. I've definitely lost all my sap and my last drop of chlorophyll. Dry and crispy, I'm, I'm swaying now, losing my grip. It'll be a large drop, but I, I know when I'm not wanted. So here I go, the last leaf of the autumn. Bravely free-falling, a long way down, but I'll make it. Come, glue-stained children. Come use me in your artwork. This falling business isn't so bad after all. Except when you fall directly into the path of a road sweeper. Damn, I knew it. Fated to join a compost heap or worse. I was made for better things, my true potential remaining untapped. True works of art are never appreciated in their time. I fought valiantly. This is the end of an era. None of my kind are left to grieve. I am the last of the autumn leaves. Oh dear, oh dear, Paul. Now that is kind of sad. It is sad, yes. So, what next? Um, It's called A Learning Experience. Now this is, uh, um, well, when I went to the Cobalt Cafe, they used to have, well, you, you, you got a chance to, you were like the headline act and the other people read, but um, you used to get a, um, people who attended got a little um, souvenir. So the performer who was the um, the headline act, myself, Kate, on this occasion, we had to choose one of the poems we'd be reading, which they put on a, a poster and should any of the listeners want you to sign it, they had, then they had something to sign. They also had a, a souvenir should they want it. Anyway, I chose a learning experience. Cool, go ahead, Paul. A learning experience. According to you, dear, our relationship wasn't a mistake. It was a learning experience. I understand now. You were misunderstood. What's more, neither were you an egotistical misogynist. You were an enthusiast of modern sexual attitudes. You didn't have affairs behind my back. You proactively sought out a relationship comparison. I see now. You were misunderstood. When you left me heartbroken and ran off with one of your mistresses, in actual fact, you liberated me from my emotional constraints. And apparently you weren't a compulsive gambler, but flaunted chance in a competitive environment. You were misunderstood. Sorry, that's my learning experience. I should have realised. Should have seen that really you weren't an alcoholic, a wife-beater, but an excessive imbiber of the grape. A strict marital disciplinarian. You didn't defraud that old lady, but manipulated her perception of the give-take role in society. You were misunderstood. Not a lazy person at all. Simply differently motivated from the rest of us. You didn't kick my cat. You had negative feline impact. Perhaps I should have done the same to you. Still, I don't hate you for it. I merely have adverse emotional realism. 
and I feel it intensely. You say I misunderstood. Perhaps, but forgive me. I look at it this way. You truly were the biggest learning experience of my life. Oh, Paul. <laughs> you know, well, I should probably read you this one. Uh, it's called Marshmallow Heart. I think I wrote this for Wifey Joe um, for a Valentine's card. Oh, that's nice. Marshmallow Heart. Lonely guy on lookout for Valentine's soulmate. Could you be the one? This comes straight to you from my marshmallow heart. I'm auditioning a valentine. Won't you please take the part? If you think you'd be willing, I would just like to say, if you've nothing else on, fancy sharing today. I'm naughtily humoured. We are sure to grow fonder. I presume you've detected my double entendre. All our friends who are couples, brainwashed zombies, I'm sure. Have they really forgotten what their friends were once for? We will smile wide, keep flirting like the couples all do, and pretend we're besotted, holding hands in the queue. We can give them a taste of their own soppy stuff, cooing, miss you already, do we annoy you yet? Tough. True, we're both into guys, still I thought it would be nice if we pulled all our interests for some Valentine's spice. Let our hair down, sing show tunes, swing from curtains, and then get drunk and play kiss chase with other girls' men. We shall dance the lambada, go out night and day, flaunt every asset. Shall we do it? Okay. Yes, this comes straight to you, perfect Valentine's heart. You're the creme de la creme, it was you from the start. Let's get out of this rut, gal, pick ourselves from the dirt. Come on, let's get out there. Come on, sister, flirt. Oh, Paul. I wrote a few of those, like sequels and stuff. I think there was two or three year period where I included the poem in the card that I sent to... Uh, Wifey Joe. This one I like. Uh, my past is catching up with me. Oh gosh, Paul. My past is catching up with me. It's getting very near. It's stalking me down side streets and will swamp me soon, I fear. I pretend that I don't see it. I pretend it's not my own. But it's calling out my name now in a ragged guttural moan. I feel its icy fingers. It watches as I rest. Scribes memos for attention whilst my dreams it does infest. It whispers at my doorway, sings songs intent to lure. It claims it will not hurt me, but this does not reassure. I feel it losing patience, leaves graffiti on my wall. I am you, wrote in crimson, bloody letters ten foot tall. My past, it follows swiftly, it's really up the pace. I hear its sullen footsteps, what soon I have to face. It's pleading with my conscience, whilst in this maze I'm lost. Its hair is woven memories with fingernails of frost. I sit and drink my coffee, a diversion from my woes. My past skulks round the corner in the shadows, swiftly grows. I cannot bear to leave here, I know what I'll confront. A vision of my past life to end this sorry hunt. I buy another coffee, I choke it down real slow. My past is creeping closer, leaving footprints in the snow. I see its shape approaching, no more content to wait. But no one else can see it, I'm alone to face my fate. There is no love inside it. My envied past abhors, tracing patterns on the window, my frightened face it draws. Its frozen breath is ravenous, lips swollen at their goal. Its hunger is relentless, myself to swallow whole. The time has come to greet it, I stand to meet its hold. It trapped me in this foxhole, this nemesis of old. My coffee spilling, tepid, it slows my beating heart. So not to draw attention as we silently depart. The past consumes me in its clutch, from tortures hiding here. It craves for my existence, overtaking me, I fear. Oh, Paul, Paul, Paul. 
didn't really happen. It's fine. Oh, thank goodness. There are quite a lot of creepy poems in this book. They usually are in my stuff. Here's a ghosty one. I don't think it's too traumatic, though. That's fine, Paul. Read that. It's called On Richmond Hill, which is a place in Richmond Park, which uh, is a place that I um, have often gone to for the podcast, uh, certainly more recently. Isn't it where the yoga vampires hang out sometimes? It is, but I don't mention them, so I didn't know about them, but I wrote this poem. On Richmond Hill. Up on Richmond Hill, they're walking around like it was only yesterday. Victorian children play as if their days had never passed over 100 summers ago. A group of them huddle, laughing like they did back in 1873, feeding ducks that no longer exist, whilst ducks that do look concerned at the sounds of their invisible forefathers. Clouds pass over the sun, and the children shimmer and fragment, glimpsed only fleetingly and fading with the gloom, returning as suddenly once the shadows are gone. I often come here, up on Richmond Hill, to sit and watch them. Their parents gather too, chatting silently in their Sunday best, less comfortable in the knowledge that I watch them, whilst their fearless children seem to knowingly revel in it. As circumspect as dust, they appear to float aimlessly, reliving what once was theirs by right on the private business of their past, yet keen to participate in events of the present. Giggling, they tease the occasional 21st century dog, who can sense them, but cannot truly make them out, nor truly fathom what is there. Laughter again, filling the air, as a solid object, a car, drives straight through one of them. That tickles the child screeches. Let me try, cries another, in search of further vehicles. The children know not, nor care not what we think, content to remain beyond our ephemeral existence. One day perhaps I shall join them there, stand chatting along with their families, and say, remember me, I used to watch you. But now we're all here just the same. And those who aren't soon will be. I expect they'll laugh, admiring the cut of my morning suit. Together we shall smile up at the children at play, up there on Richmond Hill. Oh, Paul, I thought you said that was not scary. Well, maybe it's not scary. Um, it's, oh, anyway, oh, Paul. Um, this one's called Otherwise Engaged. I called you up this evening but I did not get reply. Were you kidnapped by an alien or shot down by a spy? Did you struggle with your conscience? Did you meet a sorry fate? You're a bullshitter for Britain, so you've got no time to date. You had planned some time to ring me, to stand me up, not your intent. But Santa caused a car crash and your wing mirror got bent. Did you climb the highest mountain? Did you swim a shark-filled sea? Did you send a seance message just to get a note to me? Did you battle all the baddies? Did you punch some evil foe just to show me that you liked me? No, you didn't, that I know. Were you caught by distraction? Was I even in your mind? Oh, you never meant to hurt me just the way you are, I find. But you've got an explanation. Full moon causing you to fret. You always were dead hairy. Have I guessed the reason yet? Well, I hope you had a good one. Hoped was really worth the wait. Perhaps we can reschedule. Should I put it down to fate? Did you see a famous lady? Maybe charm her from afar? Did you make out you were single? I've arranged it. Now you are. Oh, boy. That told them. It did tell them, yes. Um, gosh. Still a few more I'd like to read, but we really must move on uh, to talking to Nick. Uh, keep on, Paul. Okay, just maybe a couple more. Um, well, and then roller coaster. <laughs> okay. Uh, peace treaty. Hold your fire. Please don't shoot. Let's call it quits and split the loot. No need to fight. No need to scare. Hands off my wardrobe. Cut and tear. No, don't you try it. You must be stopped. In the skip, my clothes you popped. 
Well, two can play that game as well. Rare vinyl Beatles records sell. My lovely trinkets liked so much were my possessions. Do not touch. Shall I hold your mother up for ransom? Remember when you found me handsome. But your views have changed. You changed your ways. Hope your change of mind it pays. No need to fight. Can do this gentle. But you're psychopathic, completely mental. So choose your weapons. Come fight with me. Peace treaty broken. World War Three. Oh, Paul. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll read uh, this one. Um, are you going to be back after I've talked to Nick? I'm not sure. I think Ig might be here. Piccadilly Circus. Mothers always hated London. I advised her it's best to be nice. The city's a vicious mistress. Critics don't get a chance to diss twice. This city has no atmosphere. Tourist queues too long. Everything is overpriced and the underground smells wrong. Why is it she complains so when it's me who pays the bills? When it's me who paid for dinner and for London's nighttime thrills? It's just a tacky Ferris wheel, she grumbled. Betty hate. She didn't like St James's. She didn't like the Tate. She didn't like St Paul's, you see, and neither Leicester Square. Then as for Covent Garden, waste of time, she said, despair. Too many crowds, she moaned. It's like Piccadilly Circus. Perhaps, I said, this is because that's exactly where we are. All right? Mother always hated London. I advised her it's best to behave. The city's a vicious mistress, and now Mother is her slave. Oh, Paul. So you're going to read Roller Coaster now? Yes, I'm going to read Roller Coaster, and then we'll speak to Nick. But thank you for being here, Cromarty. My pleasure, my pleasure. I am a driver with a racing car heart. Hark at them screaming, this is only the start. Faces are reddened with hair that's gone frizzy. Crushed up like sardines, frustrated and busy. Turn a new corner. Brakes screeching on rails. Hold tight or pray if all else fails. One man's lost his dinner, another his drink. One woman's pacemaker has gone on the blink. Oh, the thrill of the ride, oh, the thrill of the chase. The rush of the wind and the breeze in your face. Passengers calling, rides only half done. They're panicking now, but there's nowhere to run. Around and around, sweeping on out. They're banging the windows, you can still hear them shout. Over rattle of carriages, the rumble of tracks. Hundreds of travellers with panic attacks. The whole place is shaking, the carriages jump. We're nearly there now as the travellers slump. The train slows its journey, the underground crew say, Please mind the gap, next stop. Waterloo. <laughs> uh, so, um, so Nick's here. Hello. Hi. I've just been telling the listeners about my collection, Roller Coaster, which is about to, um, well, it's about to have its 20th anniversary, shockingly. Um, I, I, I was reading that from the 10th anniversary edition. So, so even that is 10 years old. But, uh, um, yeah, you, 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 um, you, you will remember when I used to, first published my poetry books before I started using Lulu when I used to do it all by oh, do it all by hand <laughs> works by hand yeah. um, yes indeed with the um, I think we it was sort of funny how we uh, did our uh, all, all our writing days it was spiral wasn't it I had a spiral binder which uh, yeah. was about to be thrown out at work um, but I, I sort of saw it still had potential and it was easy enough to buy the spirals from Ryman's, the stationers, and buy the paper. And I, I, my parents had a photocopier back in those days because my dad had a business at home. So I'd photocopy a number of copies, um, like take the paper to Salisbury, bring them back to London, take them down into the what became the Library Podcasting Studios and 
and spiral buying them at lunchtime and uh, um, sell them for a quid or something, which probably wasn't barely the cost of the paper and the printing, but it didn't cost me anything because my mum and dad let me use the printer. But, I know, uh, a similar thing with, with this, when I did the films, I, the most expensive thing was always the scripts. Mm. And I would, because I didn't have a printer or a computer or mm. uh, anything of that ilk in those days, I used to go to the, the uh, what it, as it was, the West Harman Post Office, and I used to spend a, sort of whole mornings or afternoons in, in in there with the photocopier doing one of the just yeah. throwing in money and I got with masses of copies, which is why I was always reluctant to do major rewrites on things because you had to go back and mm. and, and do all the copies for everybody. So uh, and that was bound up. I think I used to yeah. like those. Um, uh, metal mm. bindings the yes, sort of, yeah. I don't know what I can't remember what they're called now I, I still have the odd copy of some of those because it was the first eight collections until about 2005 that uh, I did in that format before I discovered Lulu um, <laughs> before I discovered America before I discovered Lulu no, yeah. it had been discovered I, 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 somebody else had discovered it but, what was your I mean was, was um, 2005 your breakthrough year as far as Lulu was concerned I think, I think it was yeah because usually I did more than one book a year um, that was that, you know that was quite a major thing for us um, and also um, I wasn't I couldn't have been far behind you I was trying to think what the first Lulu book I published was I think it was um I think it was, it, it must have been the same year, or I, maybe it was a Lulu, I think it was a Lulu one, because uh, in 2005 I did a, um, Andy and I did a, an adaption of a, of what became Different Colour, well, what was was Different Colour Graveyard and later became Different Colour Graveyard again, was to See You Never, which and I published a script book of that mm. um, with, it, with that particular rewrite in it. And um, I seem to remember that was the first one I did. And I went on to do, shortly after that, I did my Panto Sunset One, which mm. I've still got multiple copies of. And um, she, I did that with Lulu and took it to rehearsal for people to use. And um, they were pretty knocked out, mm. <laughs> you know, because um, I think the, the load didn't come in in time for the read-through, but I, I, I was handing out copies mm. uh, for people to to use yeah also also it um here's my friend aiden who showed me a, 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 an article in the newspaper which first tipped me off about it and um to start with i used their generic they, they had generic covers you could use and then very slowly i started adding my own you had to sort of learn how to do um cover. If, you, if you had a photo that fitted you could then do the lettering but then you had to work out what colours were if you had so I started taking a lot of photos of like when I was out walking with Callum say of, of a of an interesting looking tree in a field but then leaving a lot of blue sky above it because certain other colours would work well on a blue background yeah uh, if you were because otherwise you, so it was a lot of tinkering around yeah um, and also at that point having written already written sort of eight poetry books uh, I wanted to put the old ones out but I decided to put them out as double packs and, and to get so they I could get them out a quick quicker um I was always good value for money I hope uh, <laughs> and then it was only later when I got to the 10th anniversaries that I then actually went back to uh the the, the word file for those first eight books and then I added extra content and put photos in like I had with the other and then released them all as separate volumes um, 
and then I did around the same time I was doing shows that that would complement that I was re-releasing junk food or re-releasing roller coaster. Um, and and you know, it was it was it was a big a big deal discovering uh, that there was a site like um, Lulu that you could self-publish on. Well, I remember when I I first it was rather unkindly called Vanity Publishing when we were kids, mm. um, and. I remember asking, from my childhood, I was intrigued by the idea of putting a book out. And uh, um, so my sister wrote a kind of book, but in, you know, an exercise book. But the idea of being able to be in print was so excited me. Mm. Um, and uh, I remember asking my mum, uh, how much would it be for Vanity? And she said, oh, it's probably millions of pounds. I yeah. It's slight exaggeration. <laughs> um, but um, with, I always remember... Um, my f- best friend in the 70s, David Buxton, um, he's, his dad was a doctor in divinity and he was a published author. So I'd go around David's house and th- there would be books on his shelf written by his father. And I can't tell you how much that impressed me. And uh, I, I think I was always sort of uh, up for the idea of having books on the shelf. Well, I mean, I used to, we used to have the um, library and artists, no, what's it called? The Re- Writers and Artists Yearbook. Um, in the library, I got that. yeah, and it basically said if you were going to do poetry, you should just do it yourself because the chances of being published by a, a big publisher, unless you knew somebody or had some or, or already had books of fiction or, or prose published, you, you were very unlike, unlikely to be discovered. Or there was all this thing about doing competitions and all that sort of thing, and a lot of those competitions, you don't know the. The quality of the competition entry, or, or whether those people yeah. have got any more, re, you know, uh, um, who are they that they what they say matters, yeah. um, and yet they're making money out of every submission. So I didn't like that. I didn't like the competitive side. I had plenty of poems. I just wanted. I, to, I've to, certainly never been very yeah. keen on competitions. And then it wasn't much lo- longer after that that I started doing open mic night, and then decided that that wasn't really compatible with what I wanted to do because. It was a long evening to go and read two poems when you've got uh, 200 poems that you might want to read. Um, it, and it was easy just to hire the place and do your own shows. And uh, I, uh, I think, we both, did I go to any open mic? Because I used to go to, I, I went to read a couple with Michelle when she, she was don't, reading. I don't think you went to the open but I didn't do that, that many open mics before I decided that I'd rather do my own shows, which is probably, again, breaking protocol and probably... Um, why I never met as many poets as I, I, I obviously I met John and uh, Smallshaw and he became a regular contributor with me. Um, but uh, and I met one or two other people, but uh, I probably wasn't going about it the way you're supposed to. I think you're probably supposed to pay your dues and do your competitions and do competitive stuff and stand on the stage having memorised every poem. And that was never never the way I wanted to do it. So I, I would have I I wouldn't have been. You know, I would rather read well with the book in front of me than than get panic and go dry, and, and go dry dry up on the stage. Yeah. Um, but you know. also, I mean, you know, when we went to the open mic sessions, uh, uh, Michelle, mm. uh, like yourself, you know, I, I was aware of her stuff and, and it was very good. But some of the other ones on that might not. Well, yeah, it was a bit. Yeah, it was a bit like going to, to see when you see the auditions of something like pop idol or whatever um 
LX factor, and there's some, some really, you can see why some people don't get through. It was a bit like open mic poetry. It was a bit like that. There were some people who just or just didn't have, you know, they know they knew that they'd only got five minutes to read, and yet they choose something which they clearly couldn't read in five minutes, and then looked surprised when they were gonged off. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was seeing Michelle do her poems, and that she was doing humorous poems, and and that was perfectly legitimate, and doing rhyme, even though I I knew that some people didn't look down on people who rhyme. The, the the fact that Michelle did it made me think. Well, I've got these poems that are that are comparable, and I so really, if she's doing it, then I ought to do it too. So, so she sort of put it felt like a sort of uh, yeah, you know, if Michelle's doing it and has and has an audience, there is obviously an audience out there for the sort of thing that we 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 both had poems that were similar in ways, and also poems that were different uh, in in. In ways, but uh, it certainly was a good, a big inf- influence to sort of actually take it a bit more seriously. I, I remember your well, moving moving on a little bit. I remember your Covent Garden um, poetry. Yeah, well, the open mic nights were at the same venue in that space, um, but on an open mic night. Whereas when you came to my shows, there might have been twenty people at max, sometimes less. Uh, and people would wander in and out for a little bit. When it was open mic night, that room was packed with fifty plus people, like to max to maximum. So it got quite hot and sweaty, and mm. uh, and there would be always be a lot of people who wanted to read. But it was it was um, it was a good venue it, in a way. It was nice and small, and they were friendly up in the the cafe part. And but I think it changed hands. It became more expensive and. Um, also, sometimes it was difficult to get people to to chuck in for the collection at the end. Some people would be very, like yourself and stuff, would be very, very generous, and, and other people obviously didn't think that they needed to chuck anything into the... Because often I did it for charity, so it wasn't like I was doing it to to, to make money for myself. But, I mean, it did, it did cost to hire the route. I, I wasn't... I hadn't like I'd been invi- invited to do, it, to do it for free. Um... But it was it was it was a, it was quite an interesting venue because mm. I can still remember the the way to it. Um, yeah. And it was it was just off. I think it, it was there were two. I seem to remember Ali and I went to a, for a, a very nice curry round mm. the corner. Yeah. And then also round the corner the other way, there was a delicious chip shop, really old fashioned mm. yeah. chip shop, which we we frequented quite <coughs> a lot. Mm. Um, quite often we'd go to mic nights on a on a Friday. I'd I'd jump on the train after work. Oh, I'd, you know, I'd nip off a bit earlier and um, we'd go there and um, I particularly remember there was one night, really nice summer breezy summer night but we, we'd meet up with you yeah. see, see you at the see you gig uh, have some chips after we, we'd um, journey home with you and you'd stay over with us yes yeah um, I, I, I remember that very well yeah because it, it was always good because it, it, it would take a while to be, I mean you hear you hear famous musicians and actors. It's difficult to come down after, and I'm sure you've found it after you've done oh, stuff like it, that. It, it, oh, no, it's difficult I, to come down immediately. You can't just go, come home and go straight to bed. No, you can't, no. Uh, I've, I've, funny enough, because I've, I've been watching the video, the DVD of uh, Sunset Warden, which I wrote and was in 
which is a pantomime we did at Alderby Players. And yeah, you, you're, you're absolutely wired. I mean, I, I, was, I was in it. I was glad I was in it because if I were just sitting in the audience, I'd be nervous as hell and watching everybody's reaction and I wouldn't enjoy it. Um, whereas as I was actually in it, I don't usually like appearing in my own stuff, but um, it was actually really good. To, it was the, it's the least, although it was, I say it's the least stressful, I actually got shingles during it. Oh. Um, because I didn't realise I had shingles because I was playing this dog <laughs> and I thought the, the costume might have got fleas because it was, you know, I was, I was suddenly I was going itchy around the midriff. But um, with... With that, yes, I know what you, exactly what you mean. But you, it, you, it takes you, it takes a while to come down. Um, I would, I would get even rehearsal, even if it was a bad rehearsal, even if people were quarrelling with the director, they were doing your thing. Mm. So I, you know, I would come home and I would, I wouldn't be going to bed until about two in the morning because I, I would just be jumping up and down and mm. listening to music and you know, I, I just be totally in the moment so I yeah um, it was it, it is extremely difficult I, I did do shows I think for yeah for the 10th anniversary editions of the two books that I'm uh, reading from in this episode and I'm and I'm I, I'm glad because my sort of my sh- any show I did after from 2010 to about 2013 I have videos of because I was doing my Shayati on location videos, uh, and it's nice to have. Other, other than the Sutton Park era in the nineties, it's the only period that I've, and and the films that I was in with yours, it, it it's the only period of a few years in a row where I've got quite a lot of me on video, yeah. Um, uh, and, and it was partly the editing getting frustrating in the same way as publishing on Lulu got frustrating that um, I ended up uh, not sort of well and also the price of hiring um, the, uh, the the venue got which is why I don't well why I don't publish why I don't do videos and why I don't do shows anymore partly and, and ill health along the way also I mean in the meantime I, I, I was preparing some books about my work with the Magnet Editor and Life After with um, Joe and yourself. And um, I asked, I pro- about 2017, I approached um, Alan Hayes, our friend, who had, had some Lulu published but under uh, uh, books, but under his own label. Mm. And uh, he, I, I said, I approached him, if it, oh, could you do a cover for this? And he became intrigued with the idea and offered to publish it. And so I haven't actually published, we've done the mechanical process of publishing with Lulu for about 10 years now. Because mm-hmm. we once, I think we did a, I did a script book. And I think that came out when we were here. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we moved here, which was nine years ago. I'm fairly certain I was still working on that, but that must have been, so nearly 10 years. It must have, that must have been the last book, non um, sort of Hidden Tiger book I actually did. So Alan's been doing the hard work in terms of the, the Lulu side of it. Um, and he, he is in the same boat as you are in that he's, he's having enormous trouble getting the functionality of it to, 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 to wag its tail. But after about 2013, around the time I first started being unwell, around the time I was 40, 
I I did a collection called Not as Shy as I Was, and I did a I did a show there. I can't remember how many shows I did between twenty twenty fourteen and twenty sixteen, but it took it took me. I think there were other things going on and health things, and um, I I think I wrote quite a lot of short pieces, um, and I bits and pieces, and I, and I did a. I did a, a book in 2016 and that was the last show that I did at the Poetry Cafe and I, it's one of the early episodes of the podcast I recorded I didn't video it at that stage because I'd given up on the videos but I did record the audio of it mm. and and was able to release it as one of my early podcast episodes so it's nice to and I even had some characters like Yeti Uncle John being at the gig so it's quite nice that the, the era is kind of crossover. I did maybe another collection of stuff that I'd written on my blog and I'd done various different compilations over the years and I did a sort of more definitive compilation um, in about 2018, 2019 and, and I, I've been doing script books and Massive Commons books was going on. In, uh, oh, you, you and I worked on a script book together, mm. our, our long... Yes. So, well, our, our sort of episodic saga of... Um, well, which, which, yeah, which has been reasons. mentioned many times on the show as we were writing it, but at the moment... Is stuck in uh, formatting hell. <laughs> if you, oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the script as such is written. Yeah, it's, it's all finished. Um, yeah. uh, and I proofread it in 2020. You did. Um, and I, I remember submitting the last, my, my last contribution Christmas Eve 2019. Yeah. Um, so, that's, you know, but I know that Alan, our friend Alan, is, is due to do the cover. Mm. And I, he's, he's had health problems. He's. Mm-hmm. He's working his way through um, the various things. He's also got. He's edited in the process of editing um, not the novelisation of one of the life after stories, mm-hmm. which I, I, I wrote in 2020. Uh, from a well, from 30 years, I thought, oh great, you know, I finished I finished the manuscript in 2020. And I thought, oh good, it'll be out for its 30th anniversary because I wrote the original storyline in in 91. That would be, that'd be yeah. good, but of course <laughs> we we weren't quite so lucky. Mm. But we have there's quite a few. Um, obviously, I've got two. The one one I did with you and and, and some of the dreamers, which is the the book um, that's uh, the life after book. Now that's two things we've got in Lulu Hell, mm. uh, as it were, um, at the moment. Um, have you got any other? I've not. I've, I've, well, I've got some of my because I was doing hot stuff that was a, that was a script series. And I was doing um, Kensington Gore. I think I, I I think I got as far as publishing the third season of Kensington Gore, and I decided that the fourth season was going to be the last. But with, um, with with hot stuff, I think I was I I might have released the first three, and there was a fourth and fifth already written, and a sixth on the way. Um, and, and, and that was a series about the phoenix. That was about a phoenix in a library yeah, and characters, and uh, some of them were recurring characters from. And in fact, both series had characters from other sh- things I'd written um, over the years, all sort of. Uh, but I've still got the word files. But yeah, well, I think um, uh, that this episode is going to be about. You know, it's been about. We've already talked about roller coaster. And the next book is Third Time Lucky, and we'll, I'll tell you listeners a bit more about that. But um, I want to say thank you to Nick. I'm going to read the title poem from Third Time Lucky, 
um, and then I'll t- tell you more about that collection. Third time lucky. First times never work out. She learnt this fact firsthand. Married to a drummer from a heavy metal band. Her first job was a nightmare. Her first car fell apart. She ran away to Brighton on a junkyard horse and cart. Her first affair was fated. Her first bank job a flop. Saved from jail by offering gold bullion to a cop. First time on television, she forgot quite what to say. Her first night as a cool girl with a man who didn't pay. First attempts to choose a winner, Grand National pick came last. So she had to try a second time. Range available was fast. Her second job was scary, free-falling from a plane. Her second car exploded whilst on a trip to Spain. Her second husband, too, no better. He used to dress like her and had a crush on Ironside, as played by Raymond Burr. Affairs, bank jobs and telly all met a drastic fate. Her second national fancy fell at the second gate. But her third attempts were splendid. Third husband quite adored. Third job was quite successful. Fighter pilot, never bored. Third car, large Ferrari. Third national choice, he won by miles. Third bank job earned her millions and nights out on the tiles. Sometimes first tries are fated, second times more often suck. Best persevere a third time, fingers crossed for third time luck. Oh, thank you very much, Nick, and um, sure we'll talk to you again soon. I've got to take the listeners off and read them a whole load more from this book and tell them all about it. You've got to pick them up and take them out to the... Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hokey dokey. Bye for now, Nick. And uh, listeners, stay here. We've got to go over here this way. Come on, follow me. Bye. Bye. Bye to Nick. Say goodbye. Say goodbye to Nick. Say goodbye to Nick. Love you. So we are now talking about the poems of Third Time Lucky. Um, thanks again to Nick. We have a, another special guest. Uh, Ick's here. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm good. Very good. Thank you. How's Ark? Oh, he's very busy. He's involved in a true crime conference. A true crime conference? Yes, it's for fans of true crime. Oh, really? Right. Sounds fascinating. Oh, it is, Paul. It is. But I'd rather be here... Talking to you about your poems. Oh, great. Yes, certainly. Um, so, shall I tell the listeners more about the book? Yes, Paul, I won't speak. I'll let you talk. OK, thank you. So, Third Time Lucky, also published in 2002. Uh, 10th Anniversary Special, 2012. 
so we've hit the 20th anniversary came out uh, summer of 2002 revised in spring 2005 uh, Lulu version summer 2006 and this version the 20th anniversary version came out in October 2012 front cover is a rather suggestive picture of me eating some sort of well it's not a hot dog it's when I went to the Orange County Fair some I can't even remember what it was it's covered in tomato ketchup and mustard uh, and anyway yeah back cover uh, me in LA with some of those tall palm trees back cover says third time lucky published in late 2002 although it says summer but anyway, anyway never mind uh, was Paul's third self-published collection and his second to include completely contemporary compositions long before he became Chayette he was just plain Paul Chandler what hasn't changed is that he always wrote Dar first. Until now, third time's lucky. Third time? Actually, third time lucky. There's a typo on the back. Until now, third time lucky has only been available alongside its sister volume, Go Forth and Divide, uh, due to be reissued in 2013. So this is the first time it has stood alone. Well, as I explained, yeah, it was originally hand-published uh, alone. This version is a special 10th anniversary edition containing photos and behind-the-scenes information about the book. This collection includes many poems that Paul still performs today, such as Computer Dating, Good Hug, Herbal Tea Bags, Oh Florence, Party Girl, Soon On Your Way, Taken, Things Ain't What They Used To Be Part 1, and Christmas Shoplifter. Sit back and enjoy. Um, the actual titles of the poems, Another Pathetic Assassination Attempt, Ballad of a Child Actor, Bellhaven Beach, Better By Far, Break My Heart, Brompton Cemetery, The Butterfly Collectors, Commuter Pleasures, Computer Dating, Downstairs from Upstairs, Eating for One, Embrace, Ephemera, Fair, A Fortnight to Achieve, Gad About, Stay at Home, Get Over Yourself, A Girl Like Her, Good Hug, Herbal Tea Bags, Her Italian Stallion, In Deepest Darkest Belgravia, Instructions to Life, Italian Fountains, Keyholes, The Librarian, The Man Who Loves Statues, Mayday, Melodrama, Miss Fee's Parrot, O Florence, The Old Manor House, The Old Queen is Dead, On This Very Spot, Own Goal, The Park, Park Benches, Party Girl, Picnic at the End of the World, Please Don't Let the Cat Out, Presented to Royalty, Psycho Lover, Bunny Boiler, Recast My Life, Recognition, Reincarnation, the Right to Choose, Someone's Just Stolen Stonehenge, Some Vindictive Child, Soon On Your Way, Spin Me Around Please, Steps, March of the Britneys, Taken, They Found Him Wandering in Richmond Park, Things Ain't What They Used To Be, Part 1, Third Time Lucky, Trying, Unfulfilled, Untied States, The Vicar's Wife, We Had It All, Why Is It That Big Cats Have No Sense of Humour, Work Drives Her Mad and Christmas Shoplifter. Book's slightly longer than Roller Coaster, 128 pages. Back of the book, more behind-the-scenes stuff. Posters from gigs I did um, around 2012. Um, I did shows for Junk Food, Roller Coaster, and Third Time Lucky um, between November 2011 uh, and November 2012. Uh, did the the roller coaster show in uh, on the 16th of March 2012. A show for third time lucky on the 16th of November 2012. Uh, so, yes, lots of information on the writing of the poems. 
then updated for 2012, mentioning times I've uh, performed them or done videos for them. So probably going to read some other pieces. I most certainly will, yes. Um, the first one is another pathetic assassination attempt, which is a phrase that comes from an episode of Sutton Park where um, uh, Nick was... Um, <laughs> he, he was uh, attacked by Leaf. Well, there's a whole episode where um, someone's trying to kill Nick, but they're all, it's all very pathetic attempts. And I, I decided to turn it into a poem as well. Another pathetic assassination attempt. If no success, at first they say, bump him off another day. The slightest push, a nudge or shove, a feather drop from high above. A falling leaf, banana skin, fiendish plotting, evil grin. A secret smile, way cunning plans, panto villains, flinging flans. Lacklustre words not filled with bile, a nemesis who's only vile. Oh, please try hard, vent your spleen, dirty habits way too clean. Sights lined up, full of contempt, another pathetic botched attempt. They laid up in bed and worse for wear, singed moustache and vacant stare. One more try, then light the fuse. Blow yourself up, means you lose. Time bomb conquer, mouse trap gone. Failed assassin, means they won. Football. that's very silly. It, it is very silly, yes. Um, the next one's Belhaven Beach. Belhaven Beach is a beach in Dunbar, on the edges of Dunbar in Scotland, where I used to visit a lot with Callum, because that's where his family... Uh, well, that's where he's... That's certainly where his mum came from. And uh, I used to, we used to go and stay with his gran, and we've been there on the show and stayed in a hotel. Um, it's a place I know pretty well. Uh, even going back to the days of Sutton Park, quite a few episodes of Sutton Park set in Dunbar. And filmed on Belhaven Beach. Anyway, the, there's a sort of river tributary, if that's the right word, that runs um, that runs into the sea, and it means that the beach, uh, which is sometimes completely submerged, uh, when it's not submerged, you still need a bridge to get over this part of the beach to get to the other part of the beach when when the sea is out. So there's a rather lovely bridge, and yeah, depending on when the tide is out, if the sun's setting, it's a it's quite beautiful and uh, yeah, it's a very peaceful place. Belhaven Beach. Belhaven Beach stretches on for miles. I'd like to be there now. Paddling out to the Bass Rock, amongst the seals, leaving the sandbanks, the mud flats, out at a distance. There I am, I take footprints, leaving photographs, sitting in my throne amongst the trees, hiding in long-lost rabbit holes, teaching baby crabs to scuttle. Like this. No, 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 sideways. Here, watch me, then try again. My hair is turning the colour of algae. My tears pollute the tide. I get out so far, but they always call me back. Well, this time I won't go. Traversing the headland, this time I want to see the furthest shore, the beach beyond Belhaven. Beyond the bay is something the same, symmetrically reflected, something identical, yet different. The, the mention of a throne, there is a seat a little bit down, well down and around the corner of Belhaven Beach, where there's a wooden chair, and it's like a throne. That's what I'm referring to. And it is a very long beach, as I say. As you walk down it, you get to a point where... I, 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 I don't know if it's a, a sort of inland lagoon, or, or whether it's, again, where a bigger river goes into the sea. But um, no matter what the tide is doing, you can never cross that... Uh, I guess you could swim it. I don't want to encourage it. I don't know, but um, I've never seen the tide so far out that you could walk across to the headland um it's like a bit like a mirror image but you can't get across at that particular point there's no bridge at that point 
you can go by walking along the uh, around the coast path, um, which I, I never actually did. I did walk with Callum quite a lot around that area, but yeah, I never did that. Um, yeah, so it's a mixture of talking about a real place, but also being uh, a bit fantastic, talking about rather fantastic things. You could never walk to the Bass Rock. The Bass Rock is much too far out, but uh, yeah. I like the idea of teaching the crabs to scuttle. Oh, yes, Paul. Uh, well, that is funny. <laughs> I can imagine you doing that. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I ever did. This one is a bit of a sad one. Are you ready for this, Ick? I think I can cope, Paul. Go ahead. Okay, it's called Break My Heart. He's just my type, but he'll break my heart. Just my type, because he looks like you. He laughs like you. He makes me laugh like you did. It's as if he stole your voice, your mannerisms, your sense of humour. He's like a best of, a greatest hits compilation of you. Only with none of the later unpleasantness. But for now I get butterflies when we meet. When I hear other people speak of him, when I think of his successes, I am proud for him and feel as if I have achieved something too. I'm besotted, infatuated. It's like meeting two people at once. Like meeting you all over again and meeting the person who he really is. I can't help myself, can't hold anything back. It's like you never left me. It's like it might have been had you stayed. And I can't believe it. It's marvellous, it's frightening. A second chance. But I can't help but be scared. I'm over-analysing. Defeatist. Do I love him because of who he is or because of whom he reminds me of? He's a separate person. I must keep reminding myself of that. Maybe this time it'll work. I cling to the hope and to him but I know he'll break my heart. But it can't be worse than the first time. My heart is already shattered. A broken window remains broken once another stone is thrown through it. It only lets in a little more air, damaged and unchanged. So how much more can a heart be hurt by you? Only in degrees. I know I can't resist. If only for old time's sake. So be it. Oh, Paul, that is sad. Yeah, I may have read that one when we did stuff from... uh, the uh, cactus heart mm, I'm not sure apologies if I have read that recently it is still sort of relevant I mean this was written about somebody who I briefly dated who did remind me of somebody who well when I was first at university was a big deal for me and caused a lot of heartache and, uh, and I met somebody who reminded me exactly of that person and uh, then that didn't go well either oh, well done, Paul. yes and 20 years later I, I don't think I've learnt that much Oh dear, Paul. Yes, I'm as bad as Cromarty, aren't I? You are. (laughs) This one's called The Butterfly Collectors. They were proud of their nets, the butterfly collectors. Nets to catch butterflies, well known to locals. She and he, the both of them. Eccentric in costume like big game hunters. Except that it was neither big game nor butterflies that they collected. Neither big game nor butterflies that their nets caught. Crouched down behind bushes, nets at the ready, for anything which took their fancy. She liked tall, hunky rugby players, whether in or out of their sportswear. He wasn't fussy, but rather like blondes. Along comes another and down goes the net. One more for them to pin down in that nicely plump, lime-green felt scrapbook. Another one to ravish and adore. Another one for the collection. Oh, golly. Oh, golly, Paul. (laughs) Maybe you want this one. It's not quite so... Scary. Are you sure? Yeah, it's called Computer Dating. I consider this was written when, well, I mean, Computer Dating's been around a while, but 
Certainly, this is sort of around the time that online internet dating was kind of new. Those websites where you could meet people were still relatively new. As much as anything, I didn't have a computer at home until around 2002, 2003. So even if I wanted to, I, I had to wait until I went around Harry's house to nip on any of those sites to try and meet people. It was, it was, it was difficult in them days. Why didn't you go and meet people, you know, in bars? Well, because that, that's scary. And you don't know what people's record collections and favourite films are. Oh, yes, good point, Paul. I see. Yes, definitely. I understand. Computer dating. State your name, date of birth, height in metres, weight and girth. Say what you like and things that scare. Include a photo if you dare. Tell what you do and where you're at. If you believe the earth is flat. And what's your thoughts, your royalist views? What colour eyes, what size of shoes? Your favourite film, your favourite book? Favourite hairstyle, favourite look? Just type it in, we'll do the rest. Find a match you won't detest. But should no one get in touch with us... We'll explain it clearly, mailing thus. Computer dating, records say. You're way too ugly. Go away. Paul, that's horrible. Well, no, but it's, it's, it's horrible, but it's also kind of true. Or at least you can end up feeling like that. I'm not, I'm not, it's not me saying it. It's kind of what the feeling you often get when using sites like this. No, I see what you mean. Well, isn't that more from the people who use the sites? Well... Yeah, I guess in the sort of internet dating era, yeah, I mean, people put some awful things, or used to put, you know, who they wouldn't date, and uh, uh, but not in a very nice way. But I don't imagine the computer dating sort of... Tick, 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 sort of, um, that sort of thing is any more kind. But I guess you're right, Paul. You're telling it how it is. Telling it how it is, that's right. Oh, there's a picture of an ice cream there. That looks tasty. Oh, Paul. This one, it's a... It, it's, it's not a happy one, Paul. Uh, well, this was inspired by, you know, I don't know, if I was drinking a coffee at, uh, say, Waterloo, waiting for my train. You see people coming off the platforms and embracing. or And if you're up on the balcony, you're looking down on people. You wonder what the story is, perhaps, if you're that way inclined, daydreaming. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes um, what you think of as a nice image. Oh, you know, these people are reunited. Not always the case. Uh, you might realise, oh, actually, they're not best of friends. Are they a couple? Are they family? Are they colleagues? It, it makes you think. It makes me think. You have an inquiring mind, Paul. I do, Ick, I do. This is called Embrace. Hard to tell when they embrace the intent that lies within. There on the platform as a train pulls away and the passengers depart, leaving just them for a grand reunion or something more cloying. Hard to tell without seeing the expressions behind their tight embrace. Does he try to soothe her, to stop her from shaking? Still impossible to tell as he loosens his grip. Is she laughing or sobbing, overcome with the joy of the moment? His face, too, half-turned, querulous, concerned, the grateful expression of a man glad to be reunited, a couple here in love, confiding their misuse. They try for another embrace, just to be certain, for emphasis. But this time, though, she has something in her hand, Something sharp and shiny, her expression now revealed, cold, hard and revengeful in motive, as they turn in some slow, merry dance. His expression is doubtful and then suddenly surprised, frightened, now lonely, left gasping by a shooting pain, by a knife in the back. And now she's just smiling as she lets him fall, 
as if resting into a commuter seat. Blood-soaked palms wiped clean upon his suit. She is done and turns away, returning to the heavy embrace of the crowds, lost now and concealed within, guilty and yet unrepentant, embracing life close after the kill. Oh, Paul, wouldn't she have been seen by the CCTV cameras? Well, I guess that's possible. I'm not so sure I was aware of CCTV ca- you know, cameras back in those days, but they were definitely around 20 years ago, so, yeah, still... If she was, if she had a, a, you know, a headscarf and was all sort of, who knows what she could get away with. Well, there's a picture, actually. I don't know if I don't actually mention directly. There's a picture of the, the throne that I mentioned uh, on Bellhaven Beach, a bit further along in the book. But I don't actually mention, oh, look, that's the throne that I met. I should have put it by the actual poem, but there we go. Um, this one, A Fortnight to Achieve. Uh, a fortnight to achieve. I have two weeks, just two weeks, to achieve anything my heart desires. A cure for illness, or time to amass forces, to overthrow a government, to outsell bestsellers, to pop the top 40, two weeks to found a nation, to lead a cult based on our mutual love for custard, to shave my head and sing Sinatra, righting wrongs and wronging rights, time spent making snowballs Texas style. Two weeks to hide away, to bury bones and unwanted family members. To roll stones and gather moss, to spoil the broth and burn the cake. Two weeks to toy with extinction, to convince long-gone dinosaurs to reform the gang. For nostalgia's sake and not just for the money. Two weeks to be top dog amongst fat cats, to mine badly into a hairbrush, to sun myself in rainstorms. Just two weeks. Two weeks to lie back and count the minutes until my two weeks are over and done with. Oh, Paul, so much potential. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, sometimes when... Um, I went for a stage at, at some point in the in the noughties or maybe even into the tens, I think in the tens, um, of having like two or three weeks off in the summer. And that, like ahead of you, seems amazing. There's so much you can possibly do. I mean, I have a lot of time ahead of me at the moment um, and it's not quite the same as when you took leave from work, but... Uh, yeah, I think that sort of idea inspired that one. Gosh. This one's called Get Over Yourself. Quit looking at me like that, like I'm dirt, like I'm scum, like you're better than me. What on earth gives you that impression? You don't even know me. Get over yourself, why don't you? There's nothing wrong with keeping up with the Joneses. Big house, nice car. If that matters to you, then go for it. But don't glow to expect me to care. Don't look down your nose at me or my family or my modest suburban home. Don't mutter about me behind my back or laugh or think yourself superior. Just get over yourself, why don't you? You have your life. Leave me to mine. Don't be smug about it. I'm just not a Rolls Royce kind of guy. You keep your writs. Give me a sausage and egg bap in a greasy spoon in Camden Town any time. That'll do me. That'll be fine. Your success is great. Your ambition, admirable. But the way you ram it down my throat just makes me gag. Learn some subtlety. Learn some dignity. Don't speak for me. Don't make claims or talk in generalisations. Just talk about what you talk about best. Talk about you. But hurry up and get over yourself, why don't you? Quit looking at me like that. Like I'm dirt, like I'm scum, like I'm some kind of filth you want to scrape off your boots. What on earth makes you so arrogant, so judgmental? You don't even know me. So how can you comment? What makes you the expert? Nothing. But you express your views all the time. 
Meanwhile, I stare back and wonder if it ever occurs to you how you might come across to me. I wonder if you'll ever get over yourself. I pray you do, but I doubt it. Thanks, Ick. Yeah. Um, get over yourself. It's one of those expressions. I also wrote one um, called um, He's Not All That or something like that because my um, one of my colleagues, Lorraine, used to say he thinks he's great but he's not all that. Um, little expressions like that are, are very good for triggering ideas for poems. Um, I'll read these two back to back. One's called Good Hug One's called Herbal Tea Bags. Ooh. <laughs> um, good hug. She gives good hug, she makes great tea. In a king-sized mug, though she'll charge a fee. She'll mow the lawn, she'll wave her wand. Get the hoover out and clean the pond. She'll dance a jig, she'll surf the wave. In a beehive wig, she'll misbehave. She gives good hug, she'll cast her spell. Dresses up like William Tell. She'll test your fears and charge straight through. Have a kung fu fight with a snooker cue. She knows your mind, but not her own. With ties that bind, she'll always phone. She gives good hugs, she makes big plans. With a screaming horde of teenage fans. She'll tuck you up and let you rest. Knows exactly what you most detest. She'll lure you deep down underneath. Her next door neighbour's name is Keith. She'll cure your woes, but drains your soul. Chase your foes and eat them whole. Take a long, long stroll off a short, short pier. Pop her cork, then disappear. Yes, she'll pat your head or feel your knee, but you can't expect that to be free. Uh, this is Herbal Tea Bags. It's a short one, this one. Herbal Tea Bags, tasty brews. She drinks them early, reads the news. Sometimes bitter hides the smell. Earl Grey, not poison, just as well. Pours another fruity taste. No need to sweeten, what a waste. Her neighbour kind at Christmas time, herbal tea bags, hint of lime. Or so he said, when sampled, odd, old grass cuttings, cheeky sod. Oh, oh yes, some herbal tea does smell a bit like grass cuttings or, or, or garden, garden weeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I think that's what inspired it. Um, are, you, are you up for another macabre one? I think so. It's called In Deepest Darkest Belgravia. That's very used to work, It is, yes. Uh, and it's also set in the park where um, uh, I used to go at lunchtime sometimes and where we sometimes recorded uh, uh, episodes of the podcast. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Here we go. In deepest, darkest Belgravia. In the park, in deepest, darkest Belgravia, he often comes to lunch. That autumn day he notices a change alongside the wilting flowers among the beds are two new patches of earth, the turf disturbed, freshly dug soil, clumsily hidden by brown leaves. He stares at it from a distance as he eats. In the park in deepest, darkest Belgravia, he often comes to lunch. He keeps glancing over, wondering what has been going on. He sneezes loudly, drops his apple, but appears unconcerned, lets it roll away, unembarrassed. He is alone, ridding himself of his rubbish. He potters over. In the park in deepest, darkest Belgravia, he often comes to lunch. He kicks away the leaves with smartly polished shoes. Gently he disturbs the soil. He stops, stoops. He has found it. His fingers touch fingers underground. He scrapes back soil just to be sure. Does he mean to uncover her? He'll not get the chance. In the park, in deepest, darkest Belgravia, 
he often comes to lunch. My shadow looms over him. Before there's time for him to have his say, time to take fright, he should never have come here alone. Should have read his evening standard more closely. Killer loose in London's parks. My spade crunches into bone before he even has time to scream. He struggles in vain there on the grass, but doesn't last long. He's not the first. Now he is dead, and I shall have to dig a new hole in the park, in deepest, darkest Belgravia. They often come. <laughs> yes. Uh, I should read this one. Instructions to life. Is it scary? No, no, I wouldn't say scary. It's just instructions to life. Okay. Instructions to life. I'm always losing something, being known to lose my mind, misplacing things important which are very hard to find. There must somewhere be a manual, a code to help with strife, a proper guide to everything, instructions to my life. Attach part A to right slot B, then reverse the axis thus. Some indication of what's right would really be a plus. Whether I should stay in bed or whether go to work. Whether I should frown a lot or is it best to smirk. Whether I should shut my mouth or offer my own view. Do I save my precious pennies or join the spring sales queue? Do I buy that nice tight denim? Does it suit my waif-like form? Is my appetite for hunky men in truth a perfect norm? Stalking my ex-boyfriends, is it wrong to sniff their clothes? I need a guide to help me solve trick questions such as those. But when I call the makers, request they give a hint. Writing back immediately. Life instructions. Out of print. <laughs> a true story, Paul. A, tr- a true story, yes. There's one here called The Italian Fountains, which is set in Hyde Park, but it's probably too morbid. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Um, man who loves statues, that's a bit strange. Yes. Oh gosh, Paul. You can't mention poems and then not read them. Oh, well, you know. Well, I'll read The Man Who Loves Statues. Okay. The Man Who Loves Statues. When the moon is full and its light floods the park, the lonely man leaves his house. Although he is older now, he can still leap fences into those gardens that he so prizes. He joins them there. They have changed less in those years than he. A visitor for more than 20 years. A lonely visitor of statues. When the moon is full like this, the light seems to bring them alive and they call out to him to come and stand with them, to be one of them, at one and entwined with them. It is the closest that he ever comes to real human contact, to intimacy. But on this occasion he has brought with him a bag, a hammer. Impatient, he cannot wait any longer for those short monthly trips of his. This time he means to take one home, to have a statue of his own. But which one should he choose? Just one for now, but which? beautiful lady with the flowers, the tall and handsome smiling man, which to take home to his lonely house, to stand beneath an uncritical spotlight, a recreation of make-believe moonlight, so they can be with him every day. Taking his chisel, he begins his work, so he will no more be a lonely man, but one with a stone companion, a contented, everyday family figure, a happy man with a curious devotion to statues. No, it's not me. I don't have a statue down in the laboratory. I, d- I don't. No. I know you don't. Still, now that's quite an interesting one. How strange and oh gosh, <laughs> I like it even though it's strange. Well, you know, I do write quite a lot about statues. How many statues are actually um, people who've been frozen by gorgons? Oh yes, that's happened on the show. Yeah. Yes, indeed. 
Ah, oh, this is one of my favourites. We'll have to, I'll have to wind down soon. Um, but uh, this is one of my favourites. Oh, Florence. This was written after I'd been to Florence. Although really, <laughs> it's uh, it could be about any city really, but uh, it's a silly one. <laughs> oh, Florence. Oh, Florence. Oh, Flo. Now's come time to go, but I just cannot bear soon to leave thee. Your cafes, your streets, miscellaneous meats. My love for you never will leave me. Oh, Florence, oh, Flory, a love greater than Corrie, and more than EastEnders or Dallas. Your bridges, your domes, and old stately homes, street singers with voices like Callas. Oh, Florence, Florana, our loves and Havana, come home with me, let's be at one. Come live in my flat with Derek, my cat, so together our love will grow on. Oh, Florence, oh, Flor, true love can't ignore. You send me, it's hard to behave, kid. Want you all every alley and be extremely pally with even your statue of David. So come with me, Florence, our farewells and abhorrence. Yes, come with me, bring all your peoples. I'll look after you well, keep you clean, fresh of smell, and make passionate lust with your steeples. Yes, Florence, dear Flo, now I really must go. I hope you'll soon travel to reach me. I dream of your squares with such beauty like shares. I'm a novice in love. Come and teach me. Oh, Paul, first you're stealing statues, then you're ruining cities. Yeah, yeah. I I like the idea of people who say, oh, I'm in love with the city, or, you know, it's a, uh, I, I like the idea of a city being a person and then taking it to another level of stupidity of, like, uh, getting them to meet your mother. And, and I did do other poems in different forms where um, people have relationships with cities. And, and uh, there's one about Paris, uh, Mother Meet Paris, I think it's called. Just taking that silly idea, which originally I started writing about in Oh Florence. When I went to Florence, I tried to write a poem set there. And, you know, being in a beautiful city didn't inspire me <laughs> to write anything that was really true. It was uh, just silliness. I was just getting silliness. That's just you, Paul. It, it's just me, yeah. Um... I bet there's another poem about a park. I think I'll read this one because I think it is written about Sutton Park. Okay, Paul. The Park. The Park nods at me, shaking the branches of its silver birch in remembrance. I've been here before, but not for some time. Its rivers and streams flow high and fast for me. Its rhododendrons reach out to caress me, holding me for just that second or two longer than it's polite or generally accepted. They are in awe of me. The lake which has before now swallowed visitors whole lies silent and respectful of me. The ducks that swim there chatter excitedly amongst themselves at my return. Although some are too young to remember me, they all seem to recognise my face. Staring intently, eyes locking with mine, almost hypnotised, they cry until eventually they take flight. The rabbits there on the heathland also pause to watch me. The squirrels above stop foraging to see me pass. The other creatures, the dark ones who live in the shadows, the killers and the mystic mythical beasts... Even they stop to listen and recognise my footfall, curious as to why I'm here. They smile, their sharp teeth showing as I walk on, my visit almost done. At the gate, the park keeper is waiting for me. Lock-up time, he grins. It's been good to see you, he says, and I nod. We appreciate it. Do come again. I'll be back soon enough, but they will miss me more than I will them. Ooh, about you visiting Sutton Park? Well... Kind of. I think I should just read a couple more and then we'll have a couple more right at the end. Party Girl. Okay. The party girl, dress X-rated, sipping wine, she duly waited. 
a glamour model or so declaim in high heel shoes built to main. The main attraction to top the bill. She waited for the club to fill. She'd seen the one, he'd seen her too. She made a move, intent to woo. A star of screen, a star was he who read the news on Sky TV. She stared at him, smiled back at her. She gave a wink, let out a purr. Her lust it grew, a craving bad, a vixen stalking leather clad. Swooping down, made sure he saw her low-cut dress inviting more. The lights were low, the champagne fizzy. She tried her best to look show-busy. Held out her hand in hope he kissed it. She flashed a leg, he must have missed it. But he does not see, he does not care what flesh she shows or clothes does wear. He does not find her look alluring, neither shy nor ripe for curing. He's holding hands tight as he can. A love from work. The weatherman. Oh, that's sweet. How lovely. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, this one's called Some Vindictive Child. Oh, this one well. What have I done? Gone and smashed it. Down upon the floor and broken it. A thing so new and fragile, shattered like precious crystal. I didn't even give you a chance. Listen to every doubt that was attributed to you. Let the past blur my vision. Mistook you for some infernal villain that you never were. Sent you angry letters without giving you the chance to reply. Screamed callously at your answer phone. Felt hurt when you didn't come crawling back to me. Thought you were the one in the wrong. Couldn't see how stupid I was until it was too late. Slipped off down a slippery slope of suspicion. Broke up the party before it had ever really started. And then sat crying in the corner as if I'd been wrongly treated. I couldn't even learn by my mistakes. Never did. I just had to smash things to break them up. Treading down upon the blooms. Pulling off the tiny flower heads to destroy something that could have blossomed. Like some vindictive child. Uh, this is the last one I'll read until after the, after the end of the music. Okay, Paul. This is called Soon On Your Way. This was a poem I wrote originally as a leaving poem for somebody in my old job back in the 90s. Um, and then I reused it and rewrote it many times over the years into my next job. But uh, anyway, I used to change bits and personalise it. But this is the, the sort of generic um, frame of the poem. Soon on your way. Soon on your way now, soon now to leave. Not sure we'll cope, but we'll try, I believe. We'll miss all your stories and brave golfing tales. Your knowledge of music and films never fails. Who now should we turn to? We respected your views. The brain box of Britain solving hard crossword clues. Still, we're glad that you're going to do something great. We just know that your work will end up in the tape. Hark now, better stop this. Hark now, just as well. Better stop all this praise or it'll make your head swell. Oh, but we're sad that you're going. Be in touch before long. Who else can we blame when things go badly wrong? The time has gone quickly. Now soon on your way. So what can we do to convince you to stay? A million pounds for a quick change of heart? Well, we've got a few pennies, which is surely a start. But you're set and decided, your bag's up and packed. Departing by choice now, thank God you weren't sacked. Yes, we're sorry you're leaving, our hearts full of pain. We sure won't forget you. Who were you again? Oh, oh. And you put that in somebody's um, leaving card. I did, many people's leaving cards, actually. Well, um, it, thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you, obviously, to Cromarty earlier. Uh, no sign of Yeti Uncle John, but uh, there we go. He was called away. He was, yes. Uh, I, I'm sure he's very exhausted and tired now. Sure he is. So, uh, listeners, will probably have, I don't know, it'll be a while, uh, a few months at least, 
probably not until next year till we have another poetry episode, but we'll we'll see. But there will be more. And don't forget, I have quite a lot of poetry videos that I did on my Mr. Shayeti account and posted sort of between about 2010 and 2013. So, yeah, lots of me reading either at shows or in nice locations all over the world. But uh, anyway, uh, you take care. We've got plenty more episodes coming soon. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back again. And uh, you have fun. Take care. And bye-bye for now. going to uh read um some more uh from roller coaster yes i'm going to read a couple more uh this copy this copy seems to be missing some poems woodpool poem seems to be missing some pages this book seems to be missing some pages the last few poems oh here they are they've been, it's been misprinted i didn't even notice this oh dear paul yes um oh never mind uh, at least I know where they are. I thought they, I thought they were gone all together. I hope. Um, yeah. This must be a, a printing error. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, this one's called Pity Her. Good, good, go on. Pity her, her lifestyle. Pity her, real fur. How very, very tiresome. Wouldn't want to live like her. Pity her, her fortune. Pity her, their wealth. What a lovely couple. Radiant, good health. Pity her, her future. Baby, top career. Pity her, her marriage, the tabloid papers jeer. Pity her indulgences, booze and foreign fags. Pity her jet-setting, big house and seven jags. Pity her, her waistline. Pity her, those shoes. It must be really dreary, but what's she got to lose? Pity her, her weaknesses. Here credit limits snap. Pity her addictions, naked gentlemen on tap. Pity her new husband, a silver lining with a cloud. He prefers to love the butler who is very well endowed. Pity her that diet, lettuce served with cress. Bet she hates those photos, pity her that dress. Pity her the surgery, why did she get it done? That bottle of fine bubbly backfired like a gun. Pity her her lifestyle, pity her fake fur. How very, very tiresome. I really pity her. Oh dear, oh golly. <laughs> I don't know quite how to take that one. I don't know. I think there's probably a lot going on in that poem. Is it about jealousy? Is it about how people who are quite rich often appear quite sad? Um, I'm not sure. This one's called So Much Love, So Little Time. Oh, golly, go on. So much love, so little time. In love again, is that a crime? 6am, the breakfast news. The weatherman has lovely shoes. 7am, the milkman comes. Bills need paying, can't do the sums. He stands there dripping, summer rain. I feel it happen in love again. 8am, the walk to work, flirting with an office clerk. 9am, the bus is slow, a dishy driver, lusting so. 
He revs his engines, honks his horn. A shame he's married, my heart's forlorn. 10am, the in-tray cleared. Swoon, new photocopy guys appeared. 11am, the coffee queue. Spot workmen working, what a view. Eyes will turn, those guys are fit. Another crush, my heart can't quit. 12 o'clock, client on the phone. What a voice, his name is Tone. 1pm, we meet for lunch. I think he likes me, it's just a hunch. Work's forgotten, we steal a kiss. Again, I'm smitten, it's utter bliss. 2pm, the boardroom meet, playing footsie from my seat. 3pm, we take a break. Romantic texts, for goodness sake. Then pinch the senior partner's arse. Surprised was me who made the pass. 4pm, my text returned. Not today, I'm feeling spurned. 5pm, the end of day, I like the cleaner, so I stay. He's wearing jeans, they're really tight. In love again, for sure, too right. 6pm, again the train. Making eyes, I make it plain. 7pm, the weekly shop. Around the aisles, I gaily hop. And sure enough, an inward sigh. In love again, the checkout guy. 8pm, traffic warden blues. Another guy with massive shoes. 9pm, I meet with Tone. He comes on strong. Just stop, I groan. Seen someone else. Tone takes a hike. Snog the bouncer next. What am I like? 10pm, one more then slumbers. Barman's nice. We swap phone numbers. 11pm, a taxi ride. Which man was blessed, I can't decide. The driver's cute. Gives me the wink. He'd love a coffee. Invite to drink. So many men, no time to lose. This roller coaster ride I choose. And so to sleep for lusty dreams. I wake refreshed, or so it seems. The milkman's back, heart beats in haste. I'll ask him in, no time to waste. So many men, so little time. So full of love. That ain't no crime. Oh, boy. Another true story. Maybe in another life. Oh, dear. Oh, I think the theme music will be coming along in a minute. But I want to read this one. It's called Waves. I wrote this... Um, sort of in memory of my great aunt it sounds lovely Paul waves your ship has been wrecked has sunk even though it went down fast and you passed on swiftly you are still lost and gone to me I stand on the beach I keep waving knowing you won't wave back yet even now days months later the waves still wash up remnants of your life the old scrabble board we used to play on the animal illustrated pack of cards, your collection of crystal owls, the wall-mounted plates, the photographs of family, friends, teddy bears and pet cats. I turn away, gazing back over my shoulder all the while, just in case. And sure enough, just as I think that might be the last of it, another wave. Precious things that make me smile, but then cause sea salt tears. I cling to the rocks for fear I get dragged under. The waves. Coffee mornings with your friends. We adopted each other, kept in touch. Day trips to mansion houses, garden parties, church fates. Spanish sun, Mallorca, we shared a villa. Your cooking, second helpings, exploring your garden, reading you stories that I've written. I don't want the waves to stop washing up these things, and yet one day they might. The waves come again. Out there somewhere you are knitting toys and tank tops for needy causes. The only thing the waves don't wash back is you yourself. But I keep everything I still have that reminds me of you. And I always will. Oh, Paul.
This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com. Oh dear, <laughs> what's going on now? Oh, it's the Shy Life Podcast. Let's go. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net. Hello, lovies. This is your Auntie Vera Charles or your Auntie Scott or Scott or just don't call me late for dinner. Reminding you that the Pride 48 live streaming weekend is happening July 29th through the 31st, 2022. We hope to see you there in the chat room for an amazing weekend of live LGBTQ plus podcasting. For more information, head on over to Pride48.com where they've got pride just flowing right out every orifice on there. It's It can be unpretty at times. Just to end the episode, just one or two more. Uh, This is called Taken. She was pleased with the photos when they arrived. They were far better than anything she had dared hope for. Taken with great care. It showed them both off beautifully. Her husband smiling, really smiling. Not just a no-brain-for-the-camera grin, but a real eye-engaging radiant beam. An expression that was real, that she'd rarely seen from him. So real that it leapt out at her from the shot. Devoted, almost besotted, their feelings left open, naked and exposed. As she flicked through the snaps, she smiled too. In the picture, their lips met, bodies closely embraced, their clothing falling around them like autumn leaves, lingering kisses as he cradled her gently, whoever she was. The attached report had her name down as Judy, a career girl, CV included. Had she given him one, references in all, applying for the position of mistress? The detective had done a good job, It happens a lot, he'd said. Husbands and wives, affairs, infidelities, nasty business but commonplace. All the same, he'd done a good job, caught them on film. She wrote him a large cheque of thanks, smiling. She had what she wanted now, all she needed to start again. Placing the photos in an envelope, she sent them on to her solicitor, with just a brief note attached. Nail the bastard. (laughs) Yeah, this is called Unfulfilled. There's the town I never visited, the house I never bought, that's the girl I never dated, I was shallow, she too short. There's the tree I never climbed up, the frog's legs I never ate, or those evenings turned in early when I could have stayed up late. There's the wine I never sampled, cause the label looked too cheap, all those lessons I attended at the back and fast asleep. There's the book I nearly skimmed through, along the way I missed its point, I should have let my hair down, lit up and smoked that joint. That's the time got hot and bothered when I should have simply chilled. That's the master plan unhatched, work conquest unfulfilled. There were chances on a plate then, but I chose to turn them down. There's still time, reverse decisions to wave and not to drown. That's the secret always harboured, a dream too scared to tell. Don't leave regret to bury, shout it loud, you might as well. Still time to drink that bubbly, dance nude invoking rain. Don't let the bastards get you, do it all then start again. Still time that town to visit. Still time to buy that yacht. To those who think you're finished, tell them straight. You know, I'm not. There's my life mapped out completely. Such detailed planning meets derision. The choice to do is mine, though. 
my mistake or great decision. I'm going to finish off with this one. Things Ain't What They Used To Be, part one. There's quite a lot of references to old TV characters and things. American listeners may not recognise all of them. You should recognise most of them, anyway. Things Ain't What They Used To Be, part one. There was a part two eventually, but uh, but yes. I, I, when I wrote part one, I didn't necessarily know that I would definitely write part two. But, uh, Things Ain't What They Used To Be, nothing outlives change. The shifting sands of time move on, drifting out of range. There were no meringue birds in the old meringue trees. Someone stole their nests in a witty student wheeze. No billy goats across the bridge or evil troll beneath. No toad residing in its hole or wombles on the heath. Things ain't what they used to be. Nothing's built to last. The quality has fallen. All the greats have been recast. E.T. no longer calls his ma'am. Those Daleks growing slow. They prefer to just play Scrabble in a cosy bungalow. The Rolling Stones no longer roll. The Beatles busk in mouths. Bill and Ben no longer buddies, the friends no longer pals. Things ain't what they used to be, now everyone's a star. Classics to a penny, manufactured by the jar. Alice fled her wonderland, the Thunderbirds have flown. Harry Potter's lost his magic, Jack's poor beanstalk overgrown. The famous five are down to four, the secret seven split. Lassie's feeling selfish, even Postman Pat has quit. Things ain't what they used to be, nothing's like it was. Why can't it be like that again? Because, because, because. Somebody once said I should make. I made that last line because it never was. But I like. I still like because, because, because. Purple. I agree. I agree. Hello, Martin. Hi, Martin. It's me, Paul. Just wondered if your uncle John was there. Uh, no, he's he's on his way home. Oh dear, oh dear. You must be exhausted after all your DIY. Uh, you are. Well, Yeti Uncle John was coming over to you to help with some DIY, he said. Something that Tallulah wanted you both to do? Well, no, that didn't happen. He came over and uh, he's been eating Tallulah out of house and home. Oh, right. So you didn't call him over, uh, like, in an emergency to help with DIY? I definitely did not, no. Oh, well, oh just a minute. I think I can hear him coming back. Uh, just, just interesting, because he told me he couldn't record with me. I think it was probably the poems that put him off. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did mention poems. I'm sorry we couldn't be there. That's all right, Martin, it's all right. I'll speak to you later. All right, Paul. Oh, dear, oh, dear, Paul. Oh, I'm just back. Are you still recording? I I am, yes. Yes, yes, still recording, but you've missed the best of it, though, I'm afraid. Still, you can always listen to it when it's released. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm very tired. I've been very, very busy. So I heard. You what? I've just been talking to Martin. He was telling me how busy you were, eating Tallulah out of house and home. Oh, it's a job where somebody needs to do it. Yes. Hey, what do you say? You just sit down, I'll make you a cup of tea. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yes, and whilst you drink your tea, I'll, I'll read Roller Coaster and Third Time Lucky from end to end. What do you say to that? Um, yeah. Right, that would be marvellous. I thought you'd say that. Man, was that worth it or not? Oh my goodness, that was a darling little shoe. 552 552 552 552 
552. 552. 552. 552. 552. What she said. 552. 552. 552. I'm a big fan of his poetry.